open and then I'll say welcome to the oh by the way Tawidi Tawhidi Tawhidi just like Tahiti the island Tawhidi yeah there you go Tawhidi you guys ready Okay, guys, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owens Show. One of the strangest weeks of my life, and I would say uh, one of the strangest incidents of my life, was when I woke up in London at about 3 a.m. to my phone ringing off the hook, people telling me that the left was blaming me, Candace Owens, for a mosque shooting that took place in New Zealand. This was strange, of course, for a lot of reasons. First being that I don't talk about Islam. I talk about black America. I talk about the left. I talk about the Democrat Party. I talk about the Republican Party. But at no event that I've ever done in my life have I talked about Islam. Uh, when I perused the articles that were accusing me of being an inspiration for such a horrible, tragic event, they said, Candace Owens uh, once critiqued the mayor of London, who is Muslim. Uh, therefore, because she critiqued a Muslim politician, uh, she is therefore Islamophobic. This is very strange. Uh, strange, I would say, because the insinuation is that if any individual critiques or discusses someone that is Muslim, it makes them Islamophobic. Does that work in other categories? If you say something about uh, a Jewish person or critique a Jewish person, does that make you anti-Semitic? Very, very bizarre. Of course, what I think was happening here at The Root uh, was that they wanted to send a fire shot uh, to tell me, because I speak about so many different topics, uh, that it was not okay for me to ever talk about Islam. And because I'm Candace Owens, of course, this only piqued my interest. I don't know much about Islam. Um, I don't know if many of the people that follow me know much about Islam, but I do want to take you on this journey as we find out and we ask important questions because... We need more speech, not less speech when things happen. Here to talk about all things Islam with me is Imam Tawhidi. Welcome to The Candace Owens Show. Thank you very much for having me, Candace. So exciting to be here with you. You're like a Twitter person that I follow, and now you're in life. Sometimes it can feel like people are characters on Twitter. Indeed, indeed. I am very blessed to be here, and I'm a big fan of what you do. And, you know, more power to you. Right. And um, I would say what you do is arguably more interesting and definitely more dangerous um, in terms of being an imam that speaks about... Um, reforming Islam, which you don't think is a possibility. But I want to start from the beginning here. I want to go back into little girl Candace, the first time that I ever heard about Islam, um, the first time that I ever heard about, you know, Muslims in the context of a political ideology or a religion. And that was the first memory that I had was in third grade. And we were reading a book and they were saying uh, in this book that Muslim, being a Muslim is just like being a Christian. Islam is exactly like Christianity, is exactly like Judaism. And uh, we were told that the prophet Muhammad is exactly like Jesus Christ. I believe this as a child. I think that a lot of Americans that are watching this can relate to this sort of uh, the religion of peace. It's just like Christianity. Um, is any of that true? Uh, I'm always getting in trouble because I like to be realistic. So some of it is true, most of it is not. And I say this because Christianity is very well organized. If you have a problem with a Christian church, you know who to turn to, you know who the hierarchy is, you know the Pope is the head of the Catholic Church. The same with Judaism, you know, there's a rabbi, they have their own council. In Islam, there is no leading figure. It's either caliphs who lead Islamic governments, or leaders of communities, and that's endless. You can have a thousand communities, which we do have in every country, and every community has its own leader. So you can't really hold anyone responsible for any theology, for any fatwas, for anything. And this is why the moment you point a finger when something happens from the Muslim community, the most of us say, it's got nothing to do with me, it's somebody else. Right. So whereby the Catholic Church they can't run away from issues that happen within their church because it's a, an entire body that the world deals with. Islam doesn't have this body. Okay. 
And what about particularly the the figures, the figures, you know, uh, modeling yourself after Jesus Christ versus modeling yourself uh, after the prophet Muhammad? That's something that's very interesting mm -hmm. to me. Um, it, just kind of, let's just kind of dissect that for a little bit, okay? Um, so was the prophet Muhammad, would you say he was a good man? Right. The thing is, with this question itself, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a... Uh, a fair question okay because you're speaking to a muslim right from one school of thought whereby muhammad is seen differently by all schools of thought okay so isis would say yes muhammad went out butchered killed did what he did took slaves and booty and that's the man we love and that's what we're going to do and we're going to follow him okay so he did butcher people mm -hmm according to an ISIS reading of his character. Okay. Then... Well, I'll back up. According to an ISIS reading of his character. So what are what are they reading exactly that they're getting that interpretation of? The traditions, uh, 100 to 200 years after the death of the Prophet, that were compiled by Islamic scholars about what happened within the history of the prophetic era. Okay. Is this found in the Quran? The the second most sacred book outside the Quran that interprets the verses in the Quran. The Hadith. The Hadith. Hadith. Yes. My, pardon. No problem. <laughs> okay. Um, so men interpret the Quran and it becomes sacred mm -hmm. because it becomes promoted by governments. So, you know, don't speak about this book. It's put on the shelf right beside the Quran, uh, the Bukhari. And uh, it influences all other Islamic denominations, including the Shia school of thought, which I belong to. And ISIS, for example, come and say, this is how Muhammad was, and we're going to follow him. Not only Muhammad, this is how Muhammad was, and his caliphs. So if the caliphs are like that, and they lived with him, then it's definitely how he was like. But then again, in my book, I, I also uh, sh I have to be balanced. There is the minority Okay. of Muslims. See, I say minority, mm -hmm. which means I don't deny that the majority of Muslims believe... Follow this interpretation Correct. Okay, of, who, of Correct. who the Prophet Muhammad was, Correct. but there is a minority. A minority. And when I say majority, I'm not speaking about the majority in schools of thought. Mm -hmm. I So I'm not saying the Sunni Muslims. I'm saying the majority of Sunni and Shia Muslims believe that Muhammad was a man who went out for jihad and had no mercy whatsoever. And I look, I'm not saying they believe it because they studied it. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying they revere books that hold these traditions. So an average Muslim, if you question them on the street and you say, is it true that Muhammad was a terrorist? They'll say, no, no, no. But in their own books, which they don't read because language barriers or they haven't been taught or only the imam quotes it in Friday prayers, those books do teach, such as Bukhari, that Muhammad was a man who was violent. Right. He was violent. He, he killed people. He raped people. And what you're telling me is that the majority, there is a minority, which yeah. we're going to get to in a second, but the majority of people who follow this understand that. Uh, not necessarily understand it, but they revere books. Okay. So just like how uh, Christianity and Judaism, they have their holy books. Mm -hmm. Not These, everybody reads the entire book. Not everybody. Uh, but even those who memorize it, they just, like parrots, they repeat the words. They don't know what it's really saying. Okay. Uh, so yes, there is a, a reading of Prophet Muhammad, which is the most promoted one. The majority of people believe in. That is not a good reading. It's a violent one. Okay. Then we have to give right to the minority. Okay. Because the minority, uh, they also have, have a voice. Why only focus on, on the extremists? Because they have more money, so they can print more, they can get into government, they are more powerful, so their brand gets more attention. But the minority also deserve to be heard, and the minority believe that Prophet Muhammad was only continuing what Jesus had come with, what Moses had come with. And yes, there were times of conflict, but it was in self-defense. And that's their reading of the Prophet Muhammad. Okay. Someone like me, I am a social reformist, not a reformist in religion. I focus on changing the Muslim society, the Muslim mentality, because I see it is not only capable of being changed, it is already changing. And I can give you countries, the UAE, Oman, Kuwait, where Americans and British love to work there and live there and honeymoon there. And it's a Muslim country where they build synagogues and temples and churches. So a Muslim society can change. A Muslim religion 
can never change. Very interesting. So I say, if we have two sources, both authentic, both dating back to the same era, both reliable, why do you follow the violent one? Right. Why not follow the peaceful reading? Well, okay, so you're saying there is a minority of people that read this peacefully, but you are acknowledging that even under that interpretation, the Prophet Muhammad, there was, in fact, violence, right? So just to go back to my earlier question, it isn't fair to compare the historical figures of Jesus Christ no. and and the Prophet no, Muhammad no, no, no. because Jesus didn't slaughter anybody. It's it's not right to compare, in my opinion. To comp Whether in self-defense or not, it's Jesus not, never killed anybody. It's not right to compare any religious figure any prophet or any messenger with any other messenger. And the reason why is because I I come from a theological background. I know every message has its sacrifices and has its developments. And developments, it's a nice word, but it means wars and it means battles and it means exile and it means fighting and it means struggle and striving and conquering. Every religion throughout the history of time has had that, whether it be from the founder or his family members or companions. Okay. So it's not right to compare uh, figures. Uh, Jesus in Islam is very, very revered, very sacred. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is considered the mistress of the universe, one of the mistresses of the universe. So she's very dear to Muslims, but... Why do they get killed and blown up in Easter? Sri Lanka, 300 people blown up, 700 right. injured. So there are contradictions with texts and applying them within the Muslim individual. Right. But there isn't. So, And I, I think the reason why I'm saying that is because throughout our education system, these figures are always compared. And I'm not sure that that's fair, right? So they're what they're saying to, to Christians is, you know, if you don't view the Prophet Muhammad like you view Jesus Christ, it's because you're Islamophobic. Um, and that seems really bizarre to me when factually speaking, we have two entirely different individuals. Um, one that is admittedly violent under any interpretation of of Islam, you, you have to acknowledge that there not was any, violence. Not any. Well, most. You said once, one it was he, in in the in the minority community. Right. They view they acknowledge that there was violence, but they view that violence as defensive. Is that correct? Uh, no, there's a big difference between uh, battles and violence. Battles uh, and war in the Arabian Peninsula is completely different from terrorism. Let's not mix these together. Okay, so, okay. I have a problem with terrorism. Right. I don't have a problem when I read history and see there are two tribes mm -hmm. who both are strong and powerful, mm -hmm. want to go and settle it through violence. Okay. So, I don't like war at all. Right. I don't like violence. But when I read history 1,400 years ago and two tribes wanted to fight. Right. They wanted, both of them, so negotiations and they came and they formed two lines and then they talked and there was no going back. And, you know, you know how they always speak to each other. Mm -hmm. And in, in the laws of, of wars, especially in the Arabians, they present the chiefs of each side and they speak to each other. Okay. Will you drop down your weapons right. and, and go back? There is definitely, I think, a definitive difference between terrorism, where you know you're slaughtering millions of innocents yeah. who have no who have no means for wanting war, and uh, you know an actual battle where two people come. I, I actually really agree with that statement. But again, I don't uh, deny that there were massacres, I, even through the minority uh, reading. I don't deny that, and I condemn it. But at the end of the day, I have one reading that has 10 massacres. And it says this happened in history. Right. It was part, again, the development of religion. It's already developed. And this happened in history. And it does not mean that you go out now and do it. Right. The majority, such as Bukhari and so on, they don't put a limit to their jihad. They don't put a limit to their struggle against the disbelievers and, and spreading the word of, of Allah. Well, so here's the thing too. Here's another thing that I want to talk about. The differences between the Bible and the Quran. That's another thing that seems to be conflated uh, throughout the Western education system, whereas the Quran is just the Muslim Bible. This is what people are told. Um, is that true? I'm going to put the ball firmly in your court. Uh, the Bible and the Quran, they, they head in different directions. And I will tell you why. Firstly, the Muslims today 
all of them view the Bible that the Christians have as a book that was distorted. Okay. It's not the real Bible, according to the majority of them. I believe it is the real Bible because of the council that uh, was formed and uh, the verses were clearly filtered and they said what we have today is the word of God. So the Muslims believe that no, the real Bible was changed. And every now and then there's one Bible in Turkey, one Bible here. The point is, Muslims, uh, we like the Bible that says the word Ahmed, that says the word Muhammad, or a man will come after me because then we establish the prophecy of Prophet Muhammad. You see where I'm going? Right, right. So that Bible is okay. All the new ones... It's like bias confirmation. The, 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 the mosque has a problem with. Uh, and they don't wish to recognize. Now, one of the strongest arguments against Islam is that the Quran has taken a lot from the Bible and a lot from the Torah. So to say that they're completely different is not very accurate. That's why I don't say that. Mm -hmm. The Quran has a lot of, of similarities with the Bible. And that's one of the main arguments against Islam, that you guys don't bring anything new, right? Uh, but I don't believe that. I believe that because it's one God, it's an Abrahamic religion, the Torah will have similar teachings in the Bible and the Bible will have similar, will have will find similarities with it in, in the Quran. Uh, these religions all have similarities with each other. Islam takes from Judaism, all normal. But Islam, Islam and Judaism, you can't put in the same sentence, right? So there is, and, and you, you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but there is sort of this undercurrent of anti-Semitism that is almost written into the DNA of the textbooks. Uh, you can't put Muslims and Jews in the same sentence. Correct. And you cannot remove Islam from Judaism. Judaism is the foundation. The Kaaba, you know, the, the black cube that the Muslims pray to in, in Mecca and circulate around? Mm -hmm. The Kaaba was built by Abraham. Right. Abraham is a Jewish prophet. Mm -hmm. So, you so where, where does this... I guess what I'm trying to ask is that I think it would be fair to say that there... That there is hostility between Muslims and Jews. Is that a fair statement to make? More than hostility. There's war. Yeah. There, okay. Okay. I want. I was. I want to. I want to try to hear carefully so I don't get myself in too much war. trouble. So where where does that come from? Because uh, from my understanding, it's in the textbooks that there that there that that um, Islamics follow. Right. It's in it's in the textbooks that they that they should be hostile towards Jews. Is that correct? They must and obliged uh, to be hostile. Uh, towards Jews, but so do you see? It's a bit paradoxical to then say that well, we got this from the Torah, but we're hostile towards Jews. So uh, just can we make sense of that? Yes, we can. Time difference. Time. If we put everything into context, it will all be clarified. I'm a Shia Muslim. Shia Muslim means the Shia regime in Iran. They're Shia Muslim. Hezbollah are Shia Muslim. I'm a Shia Muslim. They're militants. I'm not. Okay. So we both believe in the same God, in the same prophet, in the same foundations. One is an Islamist. They believe in violent means to, to spread the religion. I don't. But how can how, how can this be? So I'm trying to grapple with this. I just want this. to answer your question. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I, I get so interested. Go ahead. <laughs> your question. Before 1979, we Shia, we never had a problem with the, the Jewish people. No problem. You know why? Because we have nothing to do with Palestine. Right. We Shia, our holy sites, Mecca, Medina, and what's in Iran and Iraq. We have nothing to do with Palestine. That's correct. When the revolution happened, to politicize the Muslim, Muslim narrative and to get the Muslim community hyped up, we said, the Quds, Jerusalem is ours. But it's not. It's right. not ours. 1979 onwards, the war happened. The... Islamic teachings can never, never separate themselves from the foundations of Judaism. Monotheism, the belief in God, the prophets. We share so many prophets. Mm -hmm. Jesus was a Jew. Muslims love Jesus. Abraham, Daniel, Isaac, Habakkuk. Uh, name me any, any prophet. They're all Jewish. And they are Islam's prophets. 
If so, you deny one of them, you can't be a Muslim. So are you saying then that this whole, the entire argument surrounding whether or not Jerusalem belongs uh, to the Muslims or the Jews was just propaganda that was fueled after the 1979? Um, For the Shia side, yes. Yes. Shia side, yes. For the Sunni side, no. The Sunnis genuinely believe, and that's the majority. Again, the problem, Candice, with my reading is that it's the minority. Yeah, but that that is the problem. So I, I I think it's unfair to say, well, the minority of people believe this, right? If you if we if we acknowledge that the majority of of people that follow Islam believe in this sort of violent interpretation, in this anti-Semitic interpretation, right? How can we allow this to permeate into Western civilization and continue to call it the, the religion of peace? Well, I don't call it a religion of peace. You don't? I don't. So why you do you never. think we do? Because I don't know. It sounds nice. But, 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 well, there has to be a, a better reason. No. Is it funded? Is it? No, you, no, it's not funded. It it's, just sounds nice. Obama says it. Yeah. Oh, that's it. He said it. That's it. There's no foundation for that whatsoever. But how do we end it? So I told you the first time I learned about this was in a textbook in school. So my entire upbringing through the public school system, I was I was told to believe this. And that did, if did you study in Saudi Arabia? I didn't. It I sounds didn't. like and you no, studied I didn't. in Saudi Just basic, like I, I literally remember uh, the book that I read in third grade and, and them sell, telling the story of the three kings. And it was basically just like a soft introduction to different religions. Right. We would all celebrate, you know, around uh, Christmas and Hanukkah time. And it was, we were supposed to get to know the, very, the various religions that were in in the classroom very innocent right mm -hmm. but what's incredible to me is that everything that you're telling me is new right so if you ask the average american to say do you do you know this about the quran do you know this about the hadith am i saying that correct, correct. about the hadith they don't we're largely ignorant about it and yet the second anything happens um that is extremist or anything that's radical the first thing that comes out of the mouths of every single person is that it's a religion of peace and there there's almost this sadness and that not the same sadness and sympathy that is given to christians no, uh when no, 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 no. So no, why is nowhere that? near, uh, largely because of the left and their agenda. What is their agenda? Their agenda is power. This is what it is. They don't care about any human being, any life. Uh, I have published a picture in my book of my uncle that was killed, burnt alive by ISIS. Oh. Uh, why? Because. Oh, I said wow. No, and why? Because the left funded ISIS. They did, and they've always done. The, the global movement of the leftists, the, the elite left, not only Hillary and Obama, the elite left have always been uh, supportive of rebels to bring down governments mm -hmm. and, and put their own uh, socialist globalist uh, movement. That is true. That now, is 100% true. They want power. Right. And whenever something happens, the left and the extremists, and we, we have to speak about their unity, the left and the extremists unite to bring down characters. And whenever there's chaos, unfortunately, us conservatives and uh, the center-right never really take advantage of chaos. Chaos can, can be used in a very clever way and can be misused. The left uses chaos to try and bring down Candace Owens. Right. What does she have to do with that? Well, because in New Zealand, somewhere right near Antarctica, someone went and killed people. And so she's responsible. What did she do? She criticized mayor of London, not even in the same country. It's bizarre. If it wasn't the same in the same in the UK, then we could say, you know, perhaps we could look at this. But even then it would be ridiculous. But New Zealand? Have you ever been to New Zealand? Never been to New Zealand. <laughs> Never been to New Zealand. Never been anywhere close to New Zealand. Yeah, the left use uh, chaos. To bring down people. I believe this. Put just like the Covington uh, High School for right. the children. Anything that happens, pick a target, unite against them, and try to bring them down. Right, and you're right. Bringing up the Covington is is a, a different example, but it's true. It's it's. They, what they, they look for chaos, they look for craziness. We talk about the Parkland shooting, right? Something that's so horrific and so terrible and a tragedy that's felt by everyone. And yet they point to law-abiding gun owners yeah. and the NRA. And in, in the confusion, right, in the chaos, in the chaotic moment of everything, because people are so emotional, they're looking for somewhere to plug their emotions and their hate in, people will go for it. I mean, I had people that were tweeting at me after this, you have blood on your hands yeah. in New Zealand, a place I've never been to, because I said that the mayor of London sucks, and I believe that. I stand by that statement. Um, he does. All the Muslims say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I had an interview where I was asked, what do you think of him? And I said, I would not have him manager of McDonald's. 
let alone <laughs> let alone mayor of London. I'm telling you, seriously, no one takes him seriously. He could not walk into certain Muslim mosques. Right. That's how disgusted they are by right, him. And, I, and I'm marrying a Brit, so you and know, I, so I know what's going on in London. I actually pay very close attention to British politics right. uh, because I'm marrying someone. So he actually is just a terrible mayor, and that's the common consensus. And it's got nothing to do with but his religion. Why would they say, for some reason, if you critique someone, nothing to do with his religion, nothing to do. That's not saying that every Muslim politician is terrible. Right. It's saying that you specifically you suck, and it's got because, nothing to do with you being Muslim. Because the uh, I think it's the Home Affairs Minister, uh, Sajid Javid, I think. He's banning terrorist groups front, left, right, center. He's doing a good job. Right, exactly. He, he, but it's not because of his religion. Right. It's because Sadiq Khan and his upbringing, this Pakistani mentality. Right. And uh, look, I sound racist, whatever. People, oh, <laughs> I don't care. Look, Pakistani mentality, you know, uh, bomb here, stabbing there. It's all normal, a big city. But that's my point about him is yeah. that, 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 that you know that the increasing in, in knife murders has gone up into the city and, and it's actually tragic. You know, look at the numbers of what's happening in London. And yet rather than address that, he's critiquing Donald Trump. And I'm just thinking, where are your priorities? Yeah. Where do your priorities lie? You're a horrible leader and I don't think that you should be in office. It's got nothing to do with you being Muslim. And similarly, uh, there's this there's this belief, or a left has this belief in America that people can't critique Ilan Omar, which you do a lot of critiquing of her. And, uh, and I'm in love with her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And the second you say anything about her, they say that you're Islamophobic. No, she's anti-American. I don't want any person that is anti-American to be in any leadership roles in America. That should be common sense across the board. If somebody mm. is hostile to your country, why would you want them in a leadership position? I have that critique of other people that are not Muslim, right? People that are running as Democrat candidates for president that can't say anything nice about America. Well, if your consensus is that America is racist, and xenophobic, homophobic, and we need to undo everything that we've done in America, I don't think you should be at the forefront of it. I don't think that that's Islamophobic. I don't think that that's anything but common sense. I'll tell you something. When I first heard that two Muslim women were running for Congress, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, I was so happy. Honestly. I was so happy. I said, now we will have Muslim women who who are going to, you know, be professional and spread peace and show Americans that there's more than just 9-11 to Islam. There's more than just care uh, and more than Qatar. We are going to bridge between Americans and the Muslim people because that's what any sensible Muslim would do. The first thing is you come in with your headscarf and you want to show the world who you are, especially the U.S. Congress. You're the focus of the global media. And then I'm like, oh, my God. She sent it back. I wanted her. Well, I thought that she was going to be different from the extremists. She's exactly like them with lipstick. <laughs> That's what I call her. ISIS with lipstick. Wow. Same ideology with lipstick. Right. <laughs> yeah, same. Literally, if, in her head, same thing. The U.S. forces that went to Somalia, they're the terrorists. right? Not the ones they fought. No, they are the terrorists. Uh, everything to do with America, when she's speaking about Al-Qaeda, she's pissed off and angry at the university lecturer, who she says she took uh, terrorism classes. She probably means anti-terrorism classes. Uh, her lecturer, when he mentions Al-Qaeda, he mentioned that, in a very uh, negative tone, Al-Qaeda, right? Hezbollah. And she was upset that he never mentioned America with the same attitude, you know, America, as though America is the real Satan. Right. You know, and, and this is the problem with Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar is, well, not just Ilhan, all of the Islamists, they are using democracy, but they don't believe in democracy. Of course they don't. Of course they, they don't. They don't believe in democracy. Even the reformists the reformists who tell you we are we don't like ISIS because we believe in democracy that is a delusion it's it's not right right because a muslim has to believe in what the quran says and the quran says you have to rule and judge only by the word of god there's no separation of mosque and state in islam claiming that is something outside of religion right so ilhan omar to sit there firstly i'm going to be frank with you you're the only person i could be frank with like this firstly she shouldn't be outside of her house without her husband's permission or her dad's permission. And this issue needs to be shown to the Muslim community that I, the father of Ilhan, 
allowed my daughter to leave the house every single day or whenever she wants. This in Islamic law, in Sharia law that she promotes and loves and, 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 and believes in. She cannot wear makeup. She can't. I don't want her to wear makeup. Because she's saying that I'm a Muslim and I'm wearing this because Allah wants me to. But Allah doesn't want you to, to put fashion and, and show your beauty, whatever the beauty is, uh, to, to show beauty, right, in front of a stranger. Right, that's, that's, that's written into, into in, Islamic in law. Islamic jurisprudence, in law. Right. She's the one who promotes Sharia law and she's violating it in front of everyone. Interesting. Interesting. So, number one, she can't dance in public. When she won, she danced in public. Right? She can't speak to strange men. Every day she's sitting in Congress speaking to strange men. All of these laws are violating Sharia law. I don't believe in Sharia law. Right. I want her to, I want all women wear makeup, dress however you want to dress, uh, run for office, have equal rights, whatever. I'm for that. But don't come and tell me I believe in Sharia law and therefore you have to respect me and then violate Sharia law. And when I point the finger, you call me Islamophobe. Right. So let's, let's actually talk a little bit about Sharia law because I don't think a lot of the people, a lot of my listeners um, know too much about it. And I know that when we try to have a conversation about it, it gets censored and people, like you said, call people Islamophobic. Mm. Um, what is Sharia law? Sharia law is the jurisprudence of Islam. Okay. And what are some of the components of Sharia law? You talked about not wearing makeup. Uh, well, there are many chapters. Right. In theology, there is an entire chapter as to how to deal with people who believe in God, who don't believe in God, what are the laws. And then we have jurisprudence, the, the individual uh, beliefs, how to pray, how not to pray, how to purify yourself, how to wash, how to sleep. All these is, is murder a component of Sharia law? Well, there's an entire chapter on murder. Murder is condemned in Sharia law, but it depends on who. Non-believers. Uh, Non-believers, again, there's another... Uh, it's all categories. Uh, what type of non-believer? Is it uh, acceptable to murder a non-believer under Sharia law? Uh, just like that? No. No. Not as simple as that. Well, how complex does it get? Um, no, it's actually a lot simpler, but just not in that way. So if a Muslim becomes a non-believer, then okay. they get killed because like I, that. Right. And then so if a Muslim becomes a non-believer, but also isn't there a line in Sharia law that if a non-believer, the non-believer that converted the Muslim can also be murdered under Sharia law? Um, yes, because they are not directly uh, affecting anything uh, in the religion, but they're manipulating the Muslims. And that goes under another category of spreading immorality. Okay. Because converting people away from Islam is seen by Sharia law as spreading immorality on the earth. Okay. And if you do that on this planet, then the chosen ones, the Muslims, have to take care of that person. It's just... Uh, so if it's, I fall it's, in love it's very with, sophisticated. If I fall in love with a Muslim man, not gonna happen. Okay, but if I do, uh, no, and no. he then says, you know what, I'm no. not going to be, I'm not going to be yeah. Muslim anymore. Um, I can be murdered, and he can be murdered. Uh, no, you can't because that's just an exception. Spreading immorality. No, there's a big difference between you falling in love and him converting for for you. He will get punished, not you. But if you were someone who had a channel, who had a TV station and is bringing Muslims to Christianity, then you would be targeted. Interesting. So not just a one-off issue. No, no. I can give you a name. For example, Brother Rashid. I don't know if you've heard of Brother Rashid. Brother Rashid, uh, he is a, uh, a Muslim who left Islam, became Christian. And he has a channel, and he, has a, uh, he had a program called Su'al Jari, Daring Questions. And he comes from a very uh, well-informed background. Uh, not just any Muslim. No, he really studied Islam and he left. Uh, he is targeted day and night by extremists. Okay. Why? So, because he's dragging Muslims away. Okay. So to me, that obviously is a very clear differentiation between this religion and any other religion because I can convert from Christianity to, to, to Catholicism to Judaism. Uh, there's no fear. You can See, just move and change can, a million times yeah, and I, there's I, I no fear. The, there's no rule. There's, you know, there, there's nothing bad that's going to happen yeah, to yeah. me for those conversions. I and that's very important for people to understand. But the same with Islam. If you converted to Islam, there's no problem. Too, but not out, right? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, converting into easy, converting out of. And, and by the way, just for your viewers, I'm not 
here promoting Sharia law. I, I'm just no, explaining. Oh, yeah. Let's, yeah, we're just I'm talking ex- about I'm, it. Yeah. We're talking about <laughs> yeah. what you they do not, believe. You do not believe in Sharia law, no, no, so no, I no. want to make that super clear to you everybody can, that's, yeah, that's listening. Um, but And I'm so happy that you're so willing to talk about this because Americans need to know this. Western society needs to know this. And I think um, I don't know what the impetus is um, behind there being so many lies and an unwillingness to discuss um, the religion, but that, that actually scares me because, as I say, you need more speech. Right. So if we don't understand something, we can talk about it. There should be nothing that's above intellectual debate. And with this birth of anti-Americans um, in our con- holding congressional seats, you know, with Ilan Omar and with Rashida Tlaib and look outside of Muslim with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez even. Um, they view Americans as as cancerous. I, I really do genuinely believe that they they hate America. And to see these people gather platforms and to see people following them and then being told that you can't critique them, lest you're sexist, lest you're Islamophobic. Um, it's funny they call me Islamophobic. I look like Osama Bin Laden a little bit, don't I? <laughs> don't I? A little bit. Uh, yeah, with yeah. my white turban on. You, right. I, I could go as his brother. I, I could probably trick someone. To right, tell him right, I'm exactly. And they call me Islamophobic. Well, it's okay. They call me a white supremacist. So I don't really have that look going for me, but nothing, you know, nothing's off limits to the left. It's just completely a complete lunacy. So you have stated that you do you believe that Islam will never be reformed. I want you to talk about that. Never, ever can it be reformed. Uh, Firstly, who was the first figure to rise to try and reform Islam? His name was Hussein, the grandson of Muhammad. Hussein, the son of of the daughter of Prophet Muhammad. 50 years after the death of Muhammad, saw the caliphs conquer and butcher and kill, take over uh, the geographic regions of 53 countries today. And he came out and he said, I would like to reform the religion of my grandfather. And he was alive at the time of the Prophet. And he was a young boy. And he saw the corruption you know what happened to him, Candace? Guess what happened to him? I'm going to go with murder. Okay. Let me show you what type of murder. Firstly, they surrounded him and 73 of his family members and companions. All of them beheaded. Who? The Muslims did it. Not the Christians, not the Jews. The Muslims did it. And all you need to do is search Imam Hussein and read about it. In my book, there's a whole chapter. They butchered him, they killed him. Then they sliced his body into bits and pieces. 70,000 soldiers came versus 72 men and women. And then they took the women hostage from Karbala, Iraq, to Syria, walking. Why? Because he wanted to reform the religion. Wow. He wanted to, to, to rise against the violent caliphs. And to them, this was a righteous killing. Of course, they the said, kill this infidel. Right. Infidels. Right. Kill this. In, the son of Muhammad, the grandson, you know, in, in Arabic tradition, the grandson is the son. So they say, kill him. So if the grandson of the prophet couldn't reform one fatwa, couldn't reform one mosque, couldn't reform one, one violent teaching, and they butchered him, you think me, 1,400 years later, come from Australia? You think I'm going to reform the religion? Or do you think someone sitting in Arizona can reform Mecca? This is nonsense. Do you I worry like about your safety? Of course I worry. You worry about your safety? I have a scar over here, look. A scar from all the attacks. Uh, you know, my book, I've written about the struggles, my home being raided, my car being vandalized with machetes. I get punched in the face. All you have to do, Tawhidi attacked on Google. You, They come out. Look, Islam can never, ever, ever be reformed. Muslim individuals can. Islam as a religion cannot. Because, very logically, religion, according to Muslims, is the word of God. It came from God. No Muslim will leave what they believe to be the word of God and follow the word of Imam Tawhidi or the word of, of man. That's man-made. Right. Excuse me, that's man-made. And if it's man-made, then it's not what God wants. They want what is God's law, not what could be God's law. Two different issues. You're telling someone to completely convert. Reform is a conversion. Might as well go become a Jew or a Christian. Then never, never, ever. I say to the Muslim, let's be realistic. We have two readings of Islam and the Prophet Muhammad. Why go for the violent one? Why not read the, the minority teachings? That's what I say. 
the minority also they also have problems but you know they can be uh, amended like how every other religion managed to amend the violent issues it's on that level right it's on that level it, it can be dealt with but the majority you can't deal with it now you say um first off i just want to commend you on your bravery because you. i think that that is one of the scariest things in the entire world to know that your life is at risk because you're trying to uh, talk about issues that are super important. I worry about um, you as well, to be honest. Yeah, people tell me that all the because time. Because but... the left are more violent than even ISIS. I know. The left, look, ISIS and their friends in the West, they're determined amateurs. The left are organized. If they come after someone, then I really worry about you. Wow, that's actually really scary. And you're accurate. I forget about that, how well organized they are. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it definitely gets scary. And, and when you see something like that, as bizarro as the New Zealand thing was, it really makes me aware of how big of a target is on my back, mm -hmm. you know, because that, that, that was a real stretch. Um, and the way that they've come after my family privately um, and things of that nature, they try to keep it highbrow. But what we're dealing with is something that is violent and something that is dangerous. Um, but the thing that gets me up every day is that I just, I just have this belief that the minority community can be freed. Uh, from this victim narrative, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bring that forth. And I'm, I'm. What inspires you? What inspires me? Yeah. What inspires you to keep going? Uh, the change I see taking place. The change I see taking place when I go into a Muslim community, and the the men and women, they're smiling, but they're afraid to to run towards me to shake my hand and take a picture. They're smiling. And when the clerics and the sons of clerics uh, message me on WhatsApp and they say, hey, let's get together privately, right. you know, not in front of everyone. And the clerics come to my house with gifts. This is someone who I expect would, would issue a statement against me, would give like a fatwa against me coming to my house, you know, with, with food. And my friends say, don't eat it. It might be poison. <laughs> <laughs> they're watching this anyway. Uh, but no, they're very nice people, but they're afraid. Of, of the, the majority of Muslims. So when I see this in my community, I become encouraged. Also, the, the bridges that I'm building with the Jewish community, with the Christian community, uh, this keeps me going. Of course, you know, my transition wasn't uh, um, as, uh, as easy uh, as many people would think. I had to go through a very lonely and, and quiet and long uh, period of my time where I, I had to somehow detach myself away from the indoctrination of the clerics and the training and everything, uh, uh, even at times, because you know I, I was trained to shoot. And uh, at times when I go to the shooting range, I remember, remember when I was a young boy, how I would hold it and, and these things, they bring back memories. Who trained you to shoot? When I was in Iran. Okay. And there, there's a video of me shooting. In fact, you might want to insert it. Right. I'm a really good uh, shooter, and thanks to the, the regime and right. their people. And you said that you, you used to be an extremist. Fundamental. I would never speak to you six years ago. Wow. You would have... Oh, no, no, this is treason. I would have never come here six years ago. Wow. Yeah. But now I'm reaching out to you. Yeah, there's something... There, there, is, there is a weird parallel between you and I in the sense that, like, I used to be a leftist or a liberal, um, and, and yet I have this awakening, and now I feel like it's incumbent upon me to deliver this message to my community, despite all the attacks that I go through every single day, yeah. because there is something bigger, and I'm encouraged by the same stuff that you say you're encouraged by, which is just, you know, I, I see so many other Legs black Americans yeah, getting coming. inspired and coming out and doing these things, and, I, and yes, I'm aware that I'm at risk, but I also feel that it's now or never. And we have to bring the world forward. We have to have these conversations and we have to, um, I guess, get get black Americans off of this sinking victim ship. Um, and I am, I'm actually very encouraged to hear that you're kind of going through the same thing and you kind of started, um, obviously there's extreme differences here, uh, but you did talk to me a little about before we got live, you said that you used to be an extremist and you were married and you got divorced and you take full credit mm. uh, for the divorce because of your extreme views. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I was married to a, a wonderful uh, woman uh, who was raised in a uh, fundamentalist society and she had all of these teachings of wearing a full burqa, not even ninja, full black. Wow. Uh, and came from a prominent family. And, uh, you know, I was the, the ideal uh, husband, an extremist who spoke many languages, traveled the world preaching uh, fundamentalist Islam. And then all of a sudden, he's taking pictures with rabbis. You know, he's taking pictures with bishops. 
female politicians. That's that's you can't explain it. That's that's a court case in Sharia law. A picture with a rabbi, you've waged war against God in in, in a fundamentalist sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're dealing with the people who are impure, the killers and murderers of prophets and all these nonsensical terms. So, you know, it was best for me to move on because I saw the path I was going in. She wasn't willing to join. Wonderful woman. I wish her all the best. But, yeah, this happened in Iraq. Uh, It was never in the West. Otherwise, she would have seen how how much freedom there is in the West and so on. So it's very hard. Also, her family uh, had a lot of influence on her. Uh, But... You know that's uh, completely. Uh, it's it's fine, but it, it also it helped me grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny uh, because one of the talents that I now have is I can identify. Uh, I I can I, well I used to identify my wife amongst two hundred burkas, two hundred burka women. That's impressive. I could spot my <laughs> wife. And they're all dressed the same, and you know it, it took. I was I got told off many times. You know. We meet, you know, the mosque has two separate areas, men and women, and then we meet outside. And then there's a lady standing outside that looks like my wife. And I go up to her and I'm like, uh, so what did your dad say? Get lost. Get lost. Don't come near me. Have some shame. You know, oh, not my wife. Next one. Then we made a deal that she had to wear a green uh, uh, band around her wrist so I can identify. Gloves. Nothing. Black gloves. I can't see anything. So let's see. That's interesting, even in and of itself, because it, one of the things that the left tries to do is to pretend that it, this. You know, I always say this: they they pretend to be progressive, but the things that they advocate for are regressive. So the left pretends to be the party of inclusivity, the part the party of freedom, the party of moving the world forward, right? And there's something that is completely contradictory about the left, uh-huh. you know, who claims to put feminism on a pedestal, okay. right? Freedom for women, at the same time that they they uplift voices like Linda Sarsour. Right. Um, who believes in Sharia law, right? Women have to be covered from head to toe. Men and women must be separate. How do these two ideologies come together? And obviously we're talking about intersectionality here. And you're talking about a, a former extremist. Let me tell you who we used to vote for, the left. Wow. I dare anyone to point out an Islamic radical that votes Republican. Wow. They all vote Democrat. Yeah. And not only that, when the shooting happened in New Zealand, some Democrats here wanted to visit the Muslims. None of them visited the good, moderate minority. They all went to the giant, glamorous extremist mosques. Now, why do radical Islamic extremists support leftist politicians? Because the left, the left think they're smart. The left, they think they're smart. You know why? Because they think by getting the vote... They're smart. The leftist mentality, and I used to be a staunch leftist in, in, in my voting, in my politics, in my community. Always welcome the Greens and, and Labour in, in Australia. Never, never the Liberals or the Conservatives. So the leftists, their whole aim in life, everything, their policy, their politics, their funding, everything, Soros, Agenda, their whole ideology is get more votes. Right. Be it through illegal immigration, be it through shutting down impeachment, whatever. Chaos. The point is, they need more votes. That's their whole agenda. The extremist, they know. They know all what this guy wants is votes. So if we gave him 500 votes and he's going to give us access to the media, to the Congress, to the USA government, we came from the desert. This guy wants just 500 votes. From people who don't even know what they're talking about. Right. Just second box, this box, this name, this name. Vote for this name. And then you will take our message and bring it out, make it the, the biggest case in America. Come, we'll give you all the votes. Wow. Point is, take our clerics and make them the voice. So it's almost as if the extremists are looking big picture and the of leftists course. are just looking at one thing, which is, can yes. I have votes? Can I get into power? And they don't understand what the, exactly it is exactly. that they're feeling. The left thinks four-year, eight-year. Wow. That's the term they think in. Four-year term, eight-year term. The, the Islamic extremist thinks my grandchildren and how I change the educational system now for them. Wow. That's And uh, I can give you uh, plenty of, of, of names of people uh, you know, th- there was a, a a case where a lady I spoke about her in in my book. She infiltrated the U.S. Uh, 
educational department in, in Detroit, Michigan. And she got funding and she, she changed the whole curriculum. Then a leaked video, I'm not sure if you want to insert this or put this in the description somewhere. A leaked video shows that she's telling people that our plan here is not only to make Americans Muslim, but all of America Muslim. Islamic extremists... Jihad. Exactly. Islamic extremists think in hundreds of years ahead. Right. Um, and so the last thing that I want to touch upon here, because it's really important and it's something that I tweeted about, um, is the birth rate which is something that people don't really pay attention to. And the second you talk about it, um, they say that you're Islamophobic, obviously, um, and as if there's something Islamophobic about talking about the Muslim birth rate, which is really high, uh, particularly in European, in European countries. Um, is there any threat there when you have people that are migrating to your country that are diametrically opposed to your belief system. So I want to be clear here. What I'm saying is that we can talk about the border issue all we want in America and about Mexicans pouring over the border and South and from South American countries pouring over the border. But we don't have diametrically opposed ideology uh, with with Mexicans and with people that mm -hmm. are coming in from Venezuela, wherever it is they're coming from. We we, we there's they still you know they still hold Western principles and Western ideals. But when we talk about the migrant crisis in Europe, uh, we're talking about a flood of people coming in that believe in Sharia law. Is that problematic when the birth rate in the Muslim community is quadruple what it is uh, in the European community? Uh, allow me to surprise you and also answer your question at the same time. Not only is it problematic for Westerners and non-Muslims, it's problematic for the Muslims who have already migrated and assimilated into the West. So now Muslims are leaving their mosques because there's a new group of Muslims who now want to, because when a migrant comes, what do they do? They look for the first mosque because that's where the Muslims are. They come into a Muslim community that's completely developed, doctors and engineers and, you know, teachers, and they come from the boat, welfare, get a right, come into a mosque and expect to be accepted. They, these expectations have destroyed the Muslim community. The Muslims themselves are suffering. Right, the assimilated Muslims. Yes, and, and sometimes we're not talking five, ten families. These are hundreds and thousands of families who are moving now outside the suburbs because they're sick and tired of running into people they don't like. We ran away from you to come here. Now you're coming back here. Right, right, <laughs> right. And and it's funny that you say that because I, I, I have spoken about it, but I had a Muslim roommate for two years. She was from Canada. Lovely, lovely girl. I mean, really just the kindest heart. We became the best of friends when we were in New York. And she would talk about this. Like she'd say, you know, I'm Muslim, but you know, not like that kind of Muslim. She, yeah. she always made that differentiation. She went to mosque every Sunday um, and, you know, ha she definitely wanted to marry someone. Every, every Friday. Every Friday, okay. Unless uh, she had converted, and I'm pretty sure it was on the weekend she went. <laughs> well, it might be uh, on Sundays. Maybe Islamic classes. Maybe they yeah. have lessons on Look, Sundays. Look, you would know better than me, so yeah. we'll go with Friday. Uh, uh, she'd go every Friday, and it, what it showed me is that you know there are there. She had never been to the Middle East. Had never, she grew up in born in yeah. Canada, grew up in Canada, and she would always be in her language. She would be cautionary and say, you know, not like that, not like that kind of Muslim, which is really interesting because you're almost hitting at that that there is sort of this, um, you know war, not a, you know, not a cultural war, if you will, going out, that when you have this flood of migrants who are coming from these territories and living in a different way, and there are people that have assimilated and there are Muslims that have assimilated, it does sort of disrupt um, even within the own, in the Muslim community. It's starting all over again. Right. When the Muslims first came, the assimilated ones now, when they first came to the West, there was a struggle of who are you? Why do you look different? Why do you dress different? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Be like this. And then the second, third generation came, and now they're on the same page with the rest of the kids in the classroom, the people at work. All of a sudden, a new wave comes, and it's starting all over again. And this time, there's technology, there's YouTube, there's Twitter. This time, what the first people had to go through was locally. Now it's globally. There's an extremist in France destroying the, the statues. And the video goes viral. Why? Because according to him, this is an idol. And Abraham destroyed the idols and we need to destroy the... So with technology, this bad reputation is affecting all of the Muslims, including the assimilated ones. When I sit with Muslims, no cameras, just us together, the way they talk, anybody who would listen to them from outside the religion would say, this, these people, they are so sick and tired of their religion and so sick and tired of their own community.
and sick and tired of their background and their family. And I think it's the worst time to be a Muslim right now because of how... Uh, how vocal the extremists have become and how audacious and how backed they are now by and leftists. how rich yeah because of welfare and these bad policies and the leftists they say we love muslims only the ones that we want to work with right that'll, that'll not help. all muslims that'll get us votes yeah not and, all and, muslims. and since like you said the minority yes has holds your viewpoint but the majority holds the other viewpoint that means that the leftists are going to play with the majority because they want it's a numbers game it's and what a number for your eight year thinking to get to that i need numbers that's how they think and the left also think that i honestly believe from my readings you know most professors in islamic studies and in universities are leftists the way they write about Islam, it's like they know that a time will come where they'll have to come face to face with with someone more powerful in power that's a Muslim. And it's like presenting their religion, writing about Islam in a way that would save them from being killed by the extremist, from being targeted, isolated. And this is very, very uh, ridiculous because... Firstly, you're trying now to give the extremists, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're applying democracy onto a group of people that don't believe in democracy. In fact, they want to destroy it. Extremists want to destroy democracy. There is, democracy is tyranny to extremist Muslims, to fundamentalists, to care. Care that's lobbying politicians and giving, all Democrats, of course, and, and giving them funding. They want to see a global caliphate of the Muslim Brotherhood. They are Hamas. Their logo is the planet that you and I live on with their flag dug right inside it. Wow. That's their logo. That's their charter. That, those, that's their articles. I see CARE and the Islamic organizations in America as unofficial embassies for these uh, terrorist groups uh, in, in the Middle East. And the left don't see that. The left, because of how narrow-minded they are, it's easy for them to say, oh, uh, Islamophobic, oh, you're, you're an ex-Muslim, a closeted ex-Muslim, a real Muslim can't be peaceful, Imam of peace. What do you mean Imam of peace? You can't be a real Muslim, hugging rabbis, really? Eating with Hindus and Buddhists? Muslims don't do that. Anjim Chaudhry, Kher, Ilan Omar, they're the real Muslims. They're the ones, and everything they say that is ridiculous and disgusting, right? That's fine, because white guilt, we were the ones who oppressed them first. Now, Ilhan Omar isn't a danger in Congress. She's just a brown woman with an opinion. Why are you silencing her? You know, it, it, the way they think is completely upside down. Right. And Ilhan knows that. They and her, will uh, think themselves right into oppression. Right into oppression. Yeah, and and when, when they bring Ilhan Omar on, on TV or Rashida Tlaib as to why are you creating chaos? Why are you attacking America, American values? Or because of my color? Or is it because of what I wear? Yeah. That's what Rashida Tlaib says. They're attacking her because of her color. No. Then again, David Duke comes out to say rally behind Ilhan Omar, who is the number one guy against the black community, you know, the KKK. He's promoting Ilhan. If the left don't wake up now that David Duke is coming up publicly, telling them that, you know, we really need to get behind Ilhan Omar. She knows what she's doing, you know, pu pushing this uh, agenda. If they don't wake up now to see that, what is she doing that even David Duke is supporting her? So David Duke and the leftists are now on the same page. I think what we have to do is realize that because we have a fearful media and a mainstream media that is largely dishonest, that this is why I think that voices like ours are so important and what we do is so important because we're just having conversations. But I think that we play the biggest role when it comes to waking people up and right. just getting them to think, right? You don't need to know everything, uh, but you need to be willing to discuss things and listen to different viewpoints. Um, I want to commend you on your fearlessness. This has Thank been you. so interesting and we have to we have to do it again. Um, but we wrap up every single episode of the Candace Owens Show by giving you two minutes and you have to, you can say whatever you want. You're going to look right into that camera and pretend that what you are going to say is going to fall upon the ears of every single person in this world and you can actually make an impact. Are you ready for your two minutes of fame? Definitely. Okay. Um, Are I... ready? On your mark, get set, 
Imam Tawhidi. Thank you. I believe that the human race is heading towards uh, an era where people really need to unite against the extremist Muslims. Today, I spent time speaking to Candace Owens, and there is something that brings me to this table today. And that is, I see a lady that comes from a community that uh, the left and the extremists and, and the far left, the elite left, uh, look down upon and think that because of her color, because of the community she belongs to, she needs to vote in a certain way and think in a certain way and speak in a certain way and dress in a certain way. And she rose above all of that and broke the shackles that they had placed onto her community to speak out. And now she's a voice of, of liberation for her community. I believe that Muslims can do the same. The left has always been a big part of terrorism in the Middle East, sponsoring their wars and sponsoring rebels. I believe if they also say to themselves that instead of me doing what the left want us to do, what the uh, elite left expect from us to, to say uh, and how to vote, then we should also rise against the extremists and unite. Unite with the rest of humanity, be it Jews, Christians, atheists, Buddhists, whatever. Unite against the threat that is really damaging our Western societies. Candice, I thank you very much for having me on your show. It's so wonderful. God bless you. Really, I'm so excited to read this. This is like, I mean, I mean. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.